0: Welcome to the Church at Rocky Peaks Downloadable Messages and Podcast. This week, our lead pastor, Mike Yearly, continues his series entitled The Message and the Movement Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And today's message is titled Jesus and the Poor. It was a cold winter day. He was in Washington, D.C. He had just come back from lunch. He was a young attorney. He's, he's been working for the firm for seven years. It's a huge firm. They take up the whole skyscraper, eight floors. He got hungry that day. It was a cold day, midwinter, Washington, D.C. He decided to go to lunch. He came back from lunch went to his favorite restaurant. On his way back, he comes in, comes into the building, and he's, he noticed he's followed by a, a man who doesn't really belong there. Often happens that homeless would come in off the street to get cold in the midst of, of the winter. He didn't pay much attention, he got in the elevator, he pushed the sixth floor, the man came in behind him. He could tell he was homeless by the way he was dressed, heavy trench coat, thick rubber boots that were oversized and came up his legs. He could smell the wine, he could smell the smoke, he could smell the street, smell the body odor. The elevator went up and he didn't think much about it, the homeless man moved to the back of the elevator. When he got off, he came into his pristine offices. He, he headed out. There was a receptionist there. He headed down the hall. He didn't think much about it. He stopped at the receptionist, and he told her to call security to make sure the guy didn't follow. But he wasn't very far down towards his office where he had a busy afternoon plan, a lot of important clients, a lot of important meetings. And all of a sudden, he heard it. It was the first shot of a pistol. He turned around, and sure enough, the homeless man had come off. He, he had a pistol in his hand. It was huge, a long barrel. And he started coming his direction. By the end of the chaos, he and eight other attorneys had been rounded up by this homeless man, taken into a room. It was a huge conference room, one of those huge tables. They were forced up against the wall. The man reached inside of his trench coat and he pulled out a rope and threw it to our young attorney. He told him to tie up all of his buddies and hand to hand they were tied up and forced against the wall. At this point, he he backed up and he closed the door and he took off his trench coat and strapped to his waist were 12 12 sticks of red dynamite. If If the attorneys weren't afraid before, they were scared to death. Now, they didn't know who this man was. Why is he here? What does he want? He wasn't doing any talking. But after a while, he got set up, pushed the papers aside on the table, put his stuff down, and he said to our young attorney, he said, so... What did you have for lunch today? The young man thought, it was a strange question, but he wasn't in a mood to argue with him. And so he said, I had a chicken Caesar salad. He said, how much did it cost? $30. How much do you make in a year? What's your salary? I make $120,000. How much did you give to the poor last year? I don't know. I give to a lot of things. Yeah, but how much is specifically the poor? I don't know. Who does your taxes? Second floor. They do all our taxes. We're not going anywhere until I see the tax return of every one of you attorneys. And so it was a standoff and the hostages backed up against the wall and they waited there and eventually the police came and the the files were sent up. And in the meantime, he talked to, interrogated each of these attorneys. How much did you make last year? How much did you give to the poor? Every time was the same questions. Not how much did you give to a nonprofit. Not how much did you give to your uh, alma mater. How much did you give to the poor? To, to a homeless shelter? To a soup kitchen? To a medical clinic? How much? And every time they mumbled, they didn't know. Once the files arrived, they went through them. And it turns out the nine attorneys had made together over $3 million in salary the year before. But not $1 had gone to the poor. Today we continue on this new section of the Sermon on the Mount that we started last week. It's a section, if you have your Bibles, your note sheets, you want to take them out. By the way, if you're new to Rocky Peak, welcome. I'm Pastor Mike. We're in the midst of a series here called the message of the movement. It's the most famous sermon ever delivered in the history of the world. It's changed the life course and lives of billions of people, it changed the history of the world. And then Jesus lays out his message and his movement. And we're in the middle of the sermon right now, in chapter 6, and starting at verse 1. And we started this section last week. It's a section that starts at verse 1 and It goes to verse 18. And it's a section where Jesus wants to talk to us as his followers about what does it look like to pursue God in areas we might call spiritual disciplines, things like, like prayer, things like giving to the poor, things like fasting. And, and the main point of the whole passage is that when it comes to pursuing him these ways, which he assumes we will do, these are good things, it, it's important not only that we do the right things, but we do them for the right reasons, that our motives really matter. That if we do the right things for the wrong reasons, it doesn't really connect us to the Father. It actually takes us away from the Father. And Jesus goes on to say the best way to make sure we're doing the right things for the right reason is to keep it secret. Do the right things, but don't let anyone know. It's a way of learning to live for our Father, as we talked about last week, the audience of one. And it's, it's a way of breaking our addiction to the approval of others. And so in this passage, in these eighteen verses, he gives us three examples of what this looks like: fasting and prayer and and uh, giving to the poor. And today we come to the very first topic: giving to the poor. And what we're going to do is we're going to go through the passage, just the first four verses, but then as we've done all through this Sermon on the Mount, you've probably picked up on this by now, what we typically do is we look at a particular statement of Jesus, but we say, what else did Jesus teach about that topic? What did he model in his life? And so we're using this Sermon on the Mount as a gateway into the life and teaching of Jesus. So we're going to do that today on talking about this topic of giving to the poor. Let's take our Bibles and go to uh, Matthew chapter 6. So Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1, like I say, we'll go through the first four verses. He says, Be careful. Now remember, he's talking to his men, talking to his followers. Be careful uh, not to do your acts of righteousness before men. So Jesus assumes as his followers, there's certain things we will do, right? That being a believer in Jesus doesn't mean just certain, we don't just believe certain things. There's actually certain things he expects that we will do that flow out of our belief system. And, uh, and, he says, and so he calls them acts of righteousness, literally, as we talked last week. just It's righteousness, when you do your righteousness. Um, he says, so be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. So here's the wrong motive. He says, if you do the right things but you do it for the wrong reason, to impress others with how spiritual you are, that actually, instead of drawing you closer to the Father, it will put a wedge between you and the Father, or drive you away. And he says, so if you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. He's not going to meet you there. He's not going to be part of that whole thing. And now we come to our first example, uh, giving to the poor. Verse 2, so when you give to the needy, uh, and notice this, He says, when you give to the needy. Very important. He doesn't say if you give to the needy, right? Did you catch that? Very important. (laughs) How big things turn on little little phrases, right? So when you give to the needy, kind of assumes that as his followers will be doing that, he says, don't announce it with trumpets. Don't make a big deal uh, as the hypocrites in the synagogues do and on the streets to be honored by men. Now he's talking about the spiritual leaders of the day. And to be honest, we don't really know whether they did this literally, whether they actually blew trumpets. It had kind of like a press conference, you know. Him about to give a a big offering, let's blow the trumpets, let's gather the crowd. They may have done that. Uh, Very very likely that they may have done that. But we don't know for sure. He may just be using one of his um, patent exaggerations to make a point. But either way, you get the point, right? He's he's like, when you give, uh, don't do it to be seen. And to make sure we understand, he says, I tell you the truth, they have, they've re- received their reward in full. So when we do the right things for the wrong reasons, like to impress others, typically other people, there will be some who are very impressed. It will happen. And Jesus says, if that's what you're shooting for in your life, to impress others, congratulations. That's exactly what you're going to get. But that's all you're going to get. God's not going to meet you there. He says, so, uh, verse 3, when you give to the needy, uh, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And keep it top secret. So you're giving maybe in secret. And then your father, uh, guess what? He who sees what's done in secret, he will reward you. Okay, so pretty straight, straightforward passage, right? Uh, Jesus assumes as his followers, certain things we'll do. He wants us to do the right things, but he wants us to do them for the right reasons. If we do them for the wrong reasons, we won't be rewarded. God's not going to be part of that. He's not going to meet us in that. But if we do them uh, for the right reasons, we want to keep it secret, keep it between us and the Lord, uh, then he says that he'll reward us. Now, let me just say a little caveat here. Throughout this whole passage, uh, chapter 1 through 18, he's going to give these three examples. Every time, he's going to give an extreme example of secrecy. And these, as you'll see as we go through, these are like exaggerations to make a point. Uh, I've known some people that's like, well, I'm not gonna write a check to a church or a mission because they'll see my name on it. Jesus said, don't do the right hand, left hand thing. Uh, and, and so uh, I, I think it's really a wrong take on this because we'll see even in the New Testament, like in the early church, uh, there are examples of, of people giving and we even know their names, you know? So it's, it, the point is not to be extreme about this, but that, that in our giving, that there's a, a general rule of life that we should keep it secret. Yeah, that, that's the point. Now, so that's pretty clear. We get the passage. As his followers, we're supposed to do certain things. Uh, we're supposed to do it for the right reasons. It's important we do. And it gives us an example of, uh, of giving. Now, but here's what I want to do today. Today, I'm really looking forward to this. I, I want to talk to you about a topic that, at least in my lifetime, we haven't talked a lot about in church. And it's this topic of giving to the poor. And and what I want to do is use this passage of Jesus is kind of launching into what Jesus taught about this important topic. And to get at it, we're going to first start off by looking at the Old Testament, all right? Because uh, the Old Testament is the Bible that Jesus read. We often forget this, but he grew up, his Bible was the Old Testament. And so to understand Jesus, you have to understand the Old Testament because he's always informed by what God has already said in the past. And so... um, There in your note sheet, you have a section that talks about the heart of God, uh, God's heart for the poor, what the Bible, uh, the Bible Jesus read, says. What does the Old Testament say? Okay, so let's turn there. Now, here's what happens. When you open your Old Testament, what you find out is God has a huge heart for the poor, always has, always will. Uh, God loves those who are down and out. Now, the poor are not people who are poor because they're lazy, right? Uh, God doesn't have a heart for them in the same way. Uh, that, uh, you know, if you're just lazy and that's why you're poor, well, God says, oh, start working. That's the solution to your problem. But, but if you're, you're poor, as through no fault of your own. Uh, God's got a huge heart for that, and we see it throughout the Old Testament. And I think the best way to get at this is to talk about... Um, <laughs> kind of the three types of giving that God talks about in the Old Testament, okay? So in the Old Testament, there's three types of generosity or giving that God weaves into the nation of Israel. It's like he wants to weave in generosity in the very fabric of their society and their heart. And so there's three kinds of giving, and, there's, and they're there in your note sheet. I want to run through them real quickly just to give some context for this teaching on the poor. You'll see the first blank. Uh, the first kind of giving that God required of his nation, Israel, in the Old Testament was called the tithe. Now, some of you are longtime Christians, church growers, growers, <laughs> growers. Um, and uh, yeah, and. Uh, And so, um, you understand about the tithe, uh, but some of you are brand new at this, so let me explain explain how this works. The tithe, uh, one of the ways that God asked to be honored in the Old Testament is that the the nation of Israel would give him uh, the top 10% off of their earnings, that uh, this was a way of honoring him, thanking him, realizing that everything they had flowed from him. It was, thank you, God, for providing. It was a way of showing, uh, uh, honoring him for that. It was a way of trusting him for the future. That, uh, we trust that we're gonna give to you off the top, right? We're not gonna wait till the end of the harvest to see how much we have left. We're gonna give right off the top. And, and, uh, and we're gonna trust you for our future. And so that was used, the tithe was used primarily in the Old Testament to support their, the spiritual life of the nation. So it kind of supported the priesthood, the Levites, the, the, some of the sacrificial system, right? So it's kind of their, their, their version of what we'd call church today. Now, some of the tithe, would actually go to the poor. But the main thing was for, for supporting uh, the spiritual life of the nation, so they have strong spiritual leadership. Okay, there's a second kind of giving, okay? Second blank. And that's, I'm calling it special offerings. Now, these are over and above the tithe. Notice they're not in place of, but there were certain times, certain occasions when God would require or people would have the opportunity to give to God over and above the tithe. So there'd be things like this. Your firstborn son. Uh, there's time for an offering. Uh, the first fruits of the harvest, time for a special offering. You're going to build the tabernacle or you build the temple, time for an offering, right? And so there's special offerings. And so these are different. You got the tithe. That's week. everyone does that all the time. You have special offerings over and above. But there's a third kind of giving that God taught the nation about. And this is the part that we often neglect today. And so it's giving to the poor. So it's for the poor. Um, and so there was all these um, kind, of, kind of laws or regulations that God laid down to help look out for the poor. For example, um, he, here was one of the laws. Uh, they said, when it came time to harvest time, you were not supposed to harvest to the edge of your fields. Like, like leave the edge of the fields. Why? So that the poor could come and sort of gather, you know, for themselves. Um, They said, when you, when you, after you've done a harvest over a field, you're always going to drop some grain along the way, right? Don't go back and pick up the grain you drop. Leave it for the poor. Um, You're going to go shake your olive trees, right? to, To get the fruit out of them. Shake them once, that's it. Don't go back the next day, shake them a second time. Let the poor shake them. You know, and so they, they get that. And so there was all these laws. Um, one of my favorite laws was there was a law that went like this, is that if, you were, if someone was poor and they came to you and said, man, I'm really, I can't even, you know, money for food, can, we bar- can I borrow some money from you? That you were supposed to say, yes, you can, you can borrow. And, uh, and then here was the deal, that if they couldn't pay it back within seven years, so the whole nation was on this seven-year cycle, kind of like our uh, uh, adjustable rate mo- uh, loans, right? <laughs> so they were on this seven, so just like if you can't pay it now, you foreclose. Well, <laughs> they had a better problem. They had a, they, had a, they had a better program. So what they said was um, that if, if, uh, y- if you borrowed from a friend and you couldn't pay it back, you just never got ahead, you could never pay it back, and it came to the end of the seven-year cycle, you were, the, then the, all, the, all those loans were to be forgiven. Okay, they're going to be wiped off the books. And in fact, there was even a law that said, now be very careful. Let's say your buddy comes to you and you're six years into this cycle and he wants to borrow money and you're thinking, oh, there's only nine months left. There's no way he can repay it. Uh, God said, you better loan it to him. Don't don't not loan. In fact, let's look at this one. Let's go to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 15. I just love this law. Uh, And so we're going to go there and uh, let's look at it firsthand. Deuteronomy chapter 15. Now remember, this is the Bible Jesus read. This was informing him as to uh, okay, teaching him as he's growing up about God's heart for the poor. And so, in chapter fifteen and verse seven, it says, uh, "If there's a poor man, y'all there, fifteen seven, ready to go, good. Okay, if there's a poor man among your brothers in any of the towns." of the land that the Lord your God is giving you uh, do not be hard hearted or tight-fisted toward your poor brother uh, rather be open-handed and freely lend him whatever he needs now be careful not to harbor this wicked thought hey the 7th year the year for canceling debts is near so that you do not show ill will toward your needy brother and give him nothing he that he may then appeal to the Lord against you and you will be found guilty of sin. So catch this, give generously to him and do so without a grudging heart. And then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you. Right? So God's, you see how he's, he's teaching the nation to be generous. He's he's weaving this into the nation. I want you to be a nation of givers. I want you to be a nation of lovers. I want you to take care of one another. I want you to love your neighbor as yourself in the financial realm. And so, in verse 11, he says, hey, there will always be poor people in the land. That's just part of life. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your brothers and toward the poor and the needy in your land. Now, so this... Uh, this is what you find in the Old Testament that God has a huge heart for the poor and one of his biggest complaints against Israel in the Old Testament is they didn't honor his heart. Instead of taking care of the poor, they took advantage of the poor. And so by the time the prophets come along, this was one of their constant themes that God is very upset with the nation because they're taking advantage of the poor. And so you see, I want you to look at a passage that probably a lot of you have never seen before. It's in the book of Ezekiel, all right? So table of contents for many of you, this is your best bet. Ezekiel, chapter 16. Remember, that's why God put it there. And just a reminder, for some of you who are new at this, when you get a Bible, go to our tape counter out there at uh, the tape window, resource window, and you can buy these uh, tabs that you can stick on your pages, and then, in, like, overnight, you become like a whiz, and you're so impressive to sit by. So, uh, Ezekiel chapter 16. Now, ha- let me ask you a question. Has anyone ever heard of Sodom and Gomorrah? <laughs> yes, yes, we've heard of that, right? Now, very famous city that God destroyed. Now, if I were to ask you, now if you're really new at this, you may not know the answer, but for those of you who have been on Christians for a while, if I were to say, why did God destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, what would you tell me? Immorality. Okay, I, I'm hearing immorality, you know, uh, sexual sin, right, a whole lot of homosexuality, there was uh, almost like a, a attempted rape on angels, which is never a good idea. And... Um, <laughs> And so, um, and so that's how I heard the story, right? And if you read the book of Genesis, that's how the story goes. But it turns out there's more to the story of why God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And it's right here in Ezekiel, and it's chapter 16. Let's look at Ezekiel 16 and verse 49. <coughs> Okay, sixteen forty nine. So now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. Uh, you are know, not really uh, Israel's not really sisters, but God's kind of uh, give them a dig here. So um, it says, as she and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned, they did not help the poor and the needy. This is the flip side of the story of Sodom. They're very prosperous when. Nations get prosperous. When people get prosperous, the normal response is pride. The normal response is arrogance. And with arrogance comes it's all about me. And with all about me, the world begins to revolve around me. And all and life becomes to become about materialism and life becomes to be about stuff. And we lose our heart for other people. Does it sound familiar? (laughs) Yeah. And so God says this is what happened. They got wealthy, then they got arrogant, they got overfed and they got unconcerned for the poor, you see? It's a serious business. So when we come to the New Testament and we talk about Jesus and the poor, you have to understand that in the nation of Israel at the time of Jesus, this was already high on the radar. Unlike uh, many of our churches today, that this is high on the radar. For, For if you were a Jew at the time of Jesus, there were certain things that a good Jew would do if you're serious about walking with God. Giving to the poor is one of them. It was just very common. In fact, I put a quote there on your note sheet from a a commentator named William Barclay. And this was a great quote. It says, to the Jew, this is talking about the time of Jesus, to the Jew there were three great cardinal works of the religious life. Three great pillars on which the good life was based. Here they are, almsgiving, which is what? Giving to the poor, right? And prayer and fasting. Now, do you notice anything? Those are exactly the three acts of righteousness that Jesus talks about in Matthew 6. This is one of the few times where Jesus is coming along and not disagreeing with the spiritual leaders of the day. He's affirming their value, you see? And so, so what Jesus says is not, he comes along, his issue is not that uh, we shouldn't be giving the poor or fasting or praying. No, we should be. His issue was the spiritual leaders. We're doing it for the wrong reason, right? They were doing it to impress others. And so here's what I want you to cast. Jesus assumes that his followers, you and me, 21st century, here and now, he assumes that if you and I are going to follow him, that you and I will give to the poor. Now, this comes out over and over in his teaching. And I want to point out just a couple of verses. I printed them for you there. Let's just look at two examples. Um, Luke chapter 12, and there's a lot of them, but uh, let's look at two. Luke chapter 12 on your note sheet. Uh, he's talking to his followers. He says, do not be afraid, little flock, for your, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. He says, hey, God has chosen you to reveal Himself to, and He says, You're part of my movement. He's given you the kingdom, right? You're, you're sons of the king, your daughters of the king. He says, Now here's what I want you to do I want you to sell your possessions. He's talking to His followers now, and give to the poor, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, this is very common teaching of Jesus um, that. Hey, you know, you, you're part of the kingdom is giving to the poor. On the flip side, one of his complaints about the spiritual leaders of his day was they didn't do this. And so look at the next verse. You Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and dish. In other words, you're all, you're all in appearances, is what he's saying. You're all in appearances looking good, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, give what is inside the dish to the poor and everything will be clean for you, right? Okay, so, so uh, very prominent in his teaching, and we see it again today in Matthew 6, don't we? And that's why I pointed out, he doesn't say if you give to the poor, but, but when, let's say not if, but when. when, right, okay. Now, here's what I wanna do. Um, I wanna ask three simple questions to get us going. Uh, three simple questions um, I've called them questions to make you squirm, all right? <laughs> now, I, I got to tell you, this is going to be uncomfortable from this point out, all right? So if you need to go to the bathroom, this will be a great time. You just, just don't come back, you are like, you know, we'll just think you were gone for the right reasons. Um, but I got to tell you, this is going to be a little uncomfortable. Because, um, but I, I got I, I to tell you, that it's, as, it's as, as uncomfortable for me as it's going to be for you. Uh, I, I just want to just come clean on this. I do not have this wired in my life. I, 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 I don't understand this. I, the, the Lord hasn't taught me a lot about this. So we're kind of going to uncharted ter- territory. But here's my job. As your pastor, my job is not to tell you what I think. <laughs> my job is to teach you what Jesus said, right? And so if we waited till I had my act together on every issue before I taught about it, we'd have very short sermons, Right? <laughs> And so, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to launch in. <laughs> Neil Johnson going, amen. Uh, yeah, thank you, Neil. It was so nice having you work here. Um, all right, so, so there in your note sheet. Uh, let's, next section, are the poor a priority in your life? Three questions to make you squirm. So I just want to tell you, rather, this is going to make you a little uncomfortable, but we're in this together, all right? Because they make me just as uncomfortable. In fact, uh, probably more so, because the book of James says when you teach, you're going to be held to a higher standard. So, so if you get nervous, just pray for me. I'm getting worse, all right? So here we go. Three questions, three simple questions. Number one. Uh, first question is simple. How much do you give to the poor? Okay, if, if we were to pull out your tax returns, how much do you give to the poor? Now, this is going to be a little awkward, right? And you're like, well, Michael, that's personal. Well, I'm not asking you to write it on your kit card. <laughs> we're not having your registration card, then you have to tell me. Um, I think it's just a, a very important question for us to ask because Jesus seems to assume that we're going to do this. We started today with a story, right? We started with a story about the homeless guy gets on the elevator, the place That story comes from John Grisham's novel uh, and it's called The Street Lawyer. Have any of you read that book? Some of you have read that. Any John Grisham fans? (laughs) I'm a huge John Grisham fan. Uh, Except when he writes anything about other than the law. You know, when he writes those books about like the painted house, it's like, what are you talking about? I read the whole book. It's like it's the most boring book in the world. Anyway, like stick to your genre, you know? Anyway. So, but so far, he hasn't l- answered my letters. Anyway, um, but John, John is a Christian, and that's why you'll often see in his, 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 uh, many of his books, you see these themes kind of in the background that are, that are really underlying the storyline. But uh, anyway, so um, i got to tell you, the first time I read that book, it made me very nervous. Uh, let me tell you why. Uh, I, I consider myself a follower of Jesus, right? I, I've given my life to Christ. I'm in. I'm going to follow him. If you were to ask me, Mike, um, uh, uh, is your life belong to Christ? Yes, it does. Um, is that all of your life? Yes, all of my life. Okay, uh, does that include your finances? Yes, it does. So if Jesus wants to use your finances for anything, he has access. Yes, it does. Okay. So that's how I see myself, right? Now, I'm reading this story uh, of a street lawyer, and the guy's asking the question, no, not how much did you give to nonprofits. Not how much. You... And for me, I'm thinking, he's asking me, not how much did you give your church. He's asking me, how much did you give to the poor? And as I'm reading this, I'm getting nervous. Because I'm like, oh man, I'm glad I wasn't there that day. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think I'd be much further ahead than these guys, you know. And here's the thing, in my life, you talk about these three kinds of giving, right? We talk about three kinds of giving uh, the, Okay, so you talk about the tithe, 10% to God, you know, to fund his ministry, his kingdom, and so I get that. I get that. I'm good with that, right? Um, You talk about special offerings, you know, for building projects or parachurch organizations or missionaries. I get that. I'm there. I'm good. This whole thing of uh, giving to the poor, I think I missed that lesson. somewhere. In fact, growing up, I can't remember growing up, and I grew up in a church, you know, a Christian church, I don't remember ever once hearing a sermon about giving to the poor. It's like it, it was pulled out of our curriculum at our church. And, and you know what the weird thing is, is that is I've talked to other Christians and been around now and pastor along. It's not just me. It's, that's not my church. My guess is probably most of you here, even if you've been a Christian a long time, have never heard a whole sermon on giving to the poor. It's, it's almost like we just kind of missed that. Uh, somewhere, and yet, as we've seen today, it's a huge theme. All right, so so here's where it's just a place for us to begin, uh, as we're if we're beginners in this area, um, it's just it's a huge place. It's just say, okay, how much are we giving to the poor? You know, not to your church, or whatever, but to, to things that are directly to the poor, to organizations or whatever that are directly reaching the poor. Okay, second question. Here's the second one. That's going to strike you as a little odd, but just hang with me. The second one is, why do you work? Why do you work? My guess is probably most of us are working here. I wish we could. Maybe some of you are out of work right now. But uh, comes Monday morning, most of us are going to get up at some time and we're going to go to work. Some of you maybe even go to work uh, this weekend. I'm one of those people. But um, anyway, you, you may work today, you may work tomorrow. Um, but, you know, but this week, most of us are going to go to work. Now, it, now, some of you are married, and you're part of the work, uh, kind of teamwork thing, as you stay at home, and you take care of the home front and the kids and all. But you're, you're part of that team that works, right? And so that's, that's your part of it. And so the question is, why do you work? Now, I think most of us would say, well, I work to pay the bills, right? That's why I work. And that's a very honorable answer. Because the Bible's real big on this, that God's designed it that way. Book of Proverbs says we need to work and learn how to work hard to, to pay the bills. And that's an honorable thing. And if you Second Thessalonians 3 says if a man doesn't work, don't let him eat. And don't help him out if he's lazy. And Proverbs is a lot on that. So, so that's a good thing. And yet here's the thing. As followers of Jesus, Jesus wants to take us to the next level in this. That there should be another reason why we work, and I want to show you what it is. Uh, take your Bible, go to the New Testament to the right in your Bible, Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter four. Now this is just a fascinating. You know, every once in a while the New t- the Bible just like slips something in while you're not looking. This is like it's so fascinating. You know, it's just like you're having a cup of coffee with the Apostle Paul, and he just says something like, could you go back to that? <laughs> that was just really interesting. And it's like, no, I lived 2,000 years ago. Tough for you. Okay, so 428. Now, he's writing to new Christians here, and, and you'll see why I say that. There's a lot of reasons why, but 428, he says, he who has been stealing must steal no longer. And that's a pretty sure sign you're writing to new Christians, right? It's like, okay, uh, my sermon today, some of you are stealing. Would you knock it off? You know? Okay, good. Now, num- point number two, you see. So he says, uh, now, he who has been stealing in your congregation um, must steal no longer. That's uh, a no-no. Uh, he must work and he must do something useful with his own hands. Now, catch this, so that he can support himself, so he can plan for his future, so he can, can build up his investment account, right? No, so he can buy houses that are going on the market, No. Um, that he may have something to share with those in need. Isn't that fascinating? He's writing to a group, just writing to a church. He says, look, you guys, you're stealing. Knock it off. You need to get a job. And the reason you need to get a job is because you can help out those who are weak. You can help out those in your congregation who are going through hard times and through no fault of their own. that They can't take care of themselves. Now, it's interesting because you see this in the early church, like in the book of Acts, right? In the book of, the, the book of, the book of Acts, this happens quite a bit, where, where, where people will actually help support the poor in their church. Beautiful thing. All right, so, so Paul says that um, as followers of Jesus that we should work hard, but one of the reasons is that we can help take care of those who can't work. Now, third question. Now, this is the most painful question of all. And so if you're already in pain, I'm sorry. Number three. Um, it, here, here's the question. Is it possible? You know, Is it possible? I just want you to be open-minded to this, okay? So just hang with me. Is it possible that we need to decrease our standard of living so that we can increase our standard of giving? Is that possible? Is it possible that Jesus would come to us as a congregation and say today, that for some of us, he'd like us to decrease or limit our standard of living. You could live at a much higher level uh, as you you go on in life, you become more successful, but he would actually say, I would like you to put a a lid on that, you know? That next raise, or as you, I I want you, instead of just always increasing your standard of living, I'd like you to put a lid on that, kind of cap that out, so you can increase your standard of giving. Is is that possible? Now, I I think it is. I put there on your, your note sheet, that's something that Jesus said. We looked at this verse earlier, but I want to bring it back. Luke 12. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. So sell your possessions. So notice he doesn't say sell all of your possessions. But he says uh, at least sell some of them, at least. Sell your possessions. Um so we know downsize, right? Well, you downsize. That's what we got selling your possessions. We're going to downsize. And we're going to give to the poor. Why? Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so if you really want to care about the poor, there's times you have to downsize in order to give to the poor so your heart follows and you love the poor. You see? Um, Now, and this is what we see in the book of Acts, where like I mentioned, you see at times even selling properties, people even selling properties, bringing the money to the leaders of the church in order to distribute. To the poor. Now, um, I'm sure that there's some of us here saying, well, but Mike, um, I'm, you don't really know my standard of living. Um, I don't really have that greatest standard of living, I don't have that much to decrease. And, and, and I understand that, but I just want to give some perspective. And I want to challenge that a little bit. I want to remind us that we live in one of the wealthiest nations of the world. And we just forget this sometimes because we're all, we're all so wealthy. You go, I'm not so wealthy. No, no, no. Let me give you some figures. Back in uh, December, I got an email from uh, one of our interns here, Ryan Romano. And it was a great. It was a link to a recent study that was a very reputable worldwide study. It was being published on the, the website Market Watch, which was on the Wall Street Journal. So, a very credible source. And, uh, and this was what they said. It was, I'd never seen it put this way. They said, based on their research, that if you um, cash out, you know, you're like what's your, you cash out, you sell your car or your home or your clothes or whatever it is you own, if you cash out and you, uh, ha- you sell everything you have, so your net worth is $2,200, that you are in the top 50% of the world's wealth. And here's the second figure. If you cash out and you're worth 61K, $61,000, you are in the top 10% of the world's wealth. Now, catch this. There's many of us here in this room that will, if you are worth a half a million dollars, now think of that. Uh, Some of you have owned a home for a while in this area. It's escalated a lot in value. You've got... You know, some cars, you've got an IRA, you've got some retirement. you're worth a half million, you cash out half million, catch this, you are in the top 1% of the world's wealth. Isn't that amazing? The article went on to say that of this world's uh, people, there's about 6 billion people in the world, that 3 billion people in the world make less than $2 a day. Wow. Now, I'm wondering, it's just a wondering here, but I'm wondering from Jesus' point of view as he looks down on planet Earth, how he sees our standard of living versus how we see it. This is a good question to ask, isn't it? Um, How does he see that? Uh, We may not see ourselves as wealthy, but the reality is if you leave here today and you drive away in a a little uh, metal box with four wheels, and when you, you get home, you have a home of any kind, and you walk through the door and you hit that little white thing on the wall and a light goes on, and you walk over to the sink and you, you turn it and clean water comes out, you have just defined yourself as one of the wealthiest people on planet Earth. Right? And so I'm just wondering from Jesus' point of view, how does he see our lives? Now, what I want to do is we wrap this whole thing up I just want to ask four quick questions or, or, or four suggestions rather of um, where should we start uh, because my goal you might say you're not succeeding but my goal is not to make us feel guilty um, yeah, it's like a, oh you failed let's just close in prayer and go home <laughs> saying just as I am we'll all come forward give our lives to Jesus again start this thing over um, Okay, so that's not my goal. I have no agenda for that. Uh, If if you kind of notice this about me, I'm not really into guilt. I'm not even putting guilt. I'm into teaching clearly and saying, what does it mean for us? But uh, uh, that's really what it's about. It's it's not about guilt producing. We just want to be followers, right? And so um, where do we start? And and, uh, I don't have all the answers, but I got four suggestions, right? So number one, here we go. Number one, I think this is an area we really need to ask the Holy Spirit to lead us. Uh, I think there's a balance uh, here that um, there's an interesting passage in 1 Timothy chapter 6. We won't turn there now. But in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to trust in riches or put their hope in them, but to be rich in good deeds and to store up uh, treasure in heaven. And he says, Because God has given us all things to enjoy. And so there's a balance here. Uh, in First Timothy chapter 6, Paul doesn't say to the rich, sell everything you have and give it all away. He did not say that. He says, recognize how God has blessed you and make sure you're passing on those blessings while you enjoy them. Because God wanted, gave them to you to enjoy. There's a balance here, isn't there? And so I think it's a place. This is one of those places where there is no rule. Uh, We just need to ask the Holy Spirit. And so here's the prayer. I think we need to pray. We need to come and say, Jesus, I'm serious about this. I want to be a follower of yours. I want to be part of your movement. I don't want to be in the crowd. I want to be in the kingdom. And so everything I have and everything I own, all my assets, they belong to you. And so would you show me how to give and show me how to spend, and show me how to save, and show me how to invest. And what you show me, I will do. But I need help on this, because I know I can't find the balance point of myself, right? And so I think that's it. That, that Jesus said when he left, he would send another counselor, kind of a replacement Jesus, to be our counselor. And, and I think we need him at times like this more than ever, right? In this kind of an issue. It's a very hard issue. And so we we want to be generous and we don't want to live our lives in guilt and yet we don't want to make the mistake of going through our lives and never uh, really giving to the poor and answering, nope, I haven't done anything, you know. Okay, so number two. Second, Second thing. Second suggestion would be to start small. You know, often when God begins to show us something, a new area of our life, our first instinct is to start big. In fact, you can sit through a message like this and you're like, oh no, I know God's going to tell me tonight, sell it all. (laughs) <laughs> you're like, oh, I'm getting nervous here, right? And so this is the thing, you know, it's, it's like if you're talking about missions, it's like, oh no, God's gonna call me to Africa. And you're about money, he's gonna ask me. To... We just naturally tend to think that, okay, the... but what I found in my life is that usually when Jesus is showing me a new area of growth, he doesn't ask me to do something big, he asks me to do something small. And as I'm faithful in little, then he leads me to be faithful in much. And that's true in every area of life. And so, now there are times when Jesus will ask you to do something really big. For example, the rich young ruler story. Some of you know that story. I won't go into it. I call him the rich young CEO, right? Got the BMW. He's got the whole thing. I mean, this guy's styling, right? And in his case, Jesus said, look, he comes to Jesus. and says, what will it take for me to be part of your movement? I want to be your follower. I want eternal life. What does that take? Jesus said, sell it all. Sell it all. And there are times when Jesus will come to certain people and say, sell it all. But what I'm saying is that, in my experience, that is not the norm, right? The norm is start small. And so as you're praying about this, be listening for what the Spirit tells you in terms of small things. What might that look like? Well, it might look like sponsoring an orphan in Uganda, you know? A lot of you already do that. You've already started small that we we have a lot of that here. That we do that. Um, it might be children's hunger fund. We have food packs right this weekend, right? And that might be something that God puts on your heart. Okay, I'm, I'm. That's my first step towards doing the poor, right? So we're like little babies, right? Little babies start off with small steps. And so Jesus comes, small steps. There might be someone at your work or place of employment or school, or whatever you come across with a need, and God just puts it on your heart. You know, just give them a hundred bucks. You know, give them. Just help meet that need, okay? So start small. That's the second suggestion. Unless he tells you to go big, start small. Number three. Number three, focus on the family. Now, I I don't mean your personal family. uh, And I don't mean the radio show. uh, (laughs) Although they would love me. (laughs) Um, We're going to go under. No, no. uh, Paul says something very interesting in Galatians chapter 6. As followers of Jesus, are certain a priority to our giving. Like we're to do good to all people, but with our limited funds, family members, members of the body of Christ, are to be our top priority, right? That's why the early church in Jerusalem sold their property. They gave the apostles to take care of the poor in, the, in their community, not just poor indiscriminately. And so we're to do good to all men. But Paul says there in uh, Galatians chapter 6 on your note sheet, therefore, as we have opportunity, as God gives us opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to those who belong to the family of believers, right? And so one of the things we want to learn here as a church at Rocky Peak is how to love one another thoroughly, right? We want to learn to love one another thoroughly. And when someone's going through a hard time, it's no fault of their own that we want to be there and learn and grow in this as a church community to love one another, right? We want to learn this. Um, great story. I was listening to a message this week um, from another pastor who was telling a story about someone in their church and uh, that they'd lost their job and they were down and they were having a hard time even paying for, for food. and. Uh, there was another family in the church that was aware of that. They just, they just couldn't stand to see this anymore. And so they went to their house. They drove over there. And this, this family that was, was suffering had the, a minivan. And they said, let's get in your minivan. Let's go to Costco. And so they, they drive to Costco and they get there and the, they take them in, and they buy them $900 worth of groceries. And they load down that minivan. In fact, when they were leaving, it was like dragging, you know, on the ground. But here was the, the best part of the story. Here's what they said. We just want you to know that as long as you're out of work, we will always take care of you. You will never go without food. We will take care of your food until you get a job. Isn't that beautiful? You know, think start with the family. Now, there's one other one, one other suggestion. Number four is step out of your comfort zone. I think one of the reasons why we don't have a heart for the poor sometimes um, one of the reasons is sometimes we don't really know that many truly poor people. Um, now, now, some of you may say, Oh, Mike, I do. And I, well, I'm not saying everyone. I'm just saying, you know, as, as we look at this congregation, probably a lot of us don't know a lot of people that are really wondering where their next meal's coming from. We probably just don't have that. And so sometimes we have to get out of our comfort zone and step into that world in order to create a heart for the poor. And so what I'm saying is that look for opportunities to do that. For example, um, we have an adult Sunday school class here for our seniors called Trust Company. And every month they take a trip down to the inner city of L.A. and they work with an organization called World Impact in taking care of reaching out to the poor what a great opportunity! A couple months ago, my wife Lynn and Rob, uh, Pastor Rob's wife Sylvia, went down with them just to experience that. Just they, they're just exposing themselves to this ministry, you know, exposing to the poor. Uh, many of you have gone on missions trips over the years, right, to Uganda or to Mexico or to Ethiopia, and and seeing truly poor people and how this can expand our heart, right, for the poor as we get out of our comfort zone. Now, let me tell you about something we're going to be doing this fall that I think has God's hand all over it. Uh, and I really believe it's part of God's training of our church in this area of loving the poor. This last year, we've come in contact with an organization down in, near Ensenada. It's a Christian organization that's just doing an amazing job of reaching out, sharing the message of Jesus Christ, planting churches, and ministering to the poor. And, and this has been a prayer of ours for the last couple of years that God would give us a, a ministry in Mexico that we felt great about that we could partner with, that we could come alongside and partner with. And, uh, and it looks like, we're still kind of feeling this same. but it looks like God's answering that prayer. And we've sent two or three times already, at least, down there, uh, smaller teams, maybe 50 people or whatever. We've built houses. You know about that. We've built them in the parking lot and that kind of deal. And, and, but it seems like God's opening up a wider door. And so this year, in uh, uh, September, uh, to the last weekend of September. He's so got plenty of advance notice. We're gonna do the biggest missions trip we've ever done in the history of Rocky Peak. We're gonna take down 250 people that weekend from our church to go down and minister to the poor in Mexico. And 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 the plan is it's the last week and so we're gonna go it's all day Friday Saturday Sunday uh, families can go I think kids seven and up or something like that can go if the parents go um, but but let me tell you why we just really believe God's on the move down there and it seems like He's calling us to partner and this is our next step in that exploration process what we're gonna do is is we're gonna do some medical missions we're going to build six houses for people that don't have houses. Uh, that, that weekend we 're going to do a large, um, a large evangelistic campaign we 're going to send teams out in the community to work with uh, migrants and some prisoners and a variety of things We're to, and it 's all going to be very well organized and it 's going to be an amazing opportunity for our church expand our heart for the poor. And I'd like you to be praying about whether you should go. The information is inside your bulletin. We only have room for 250. And I, it sounds like a lot. But I honestly believe it's going to fill up really fast. Um, but let me tell you how, um, by doing some of this, how to expand our heart. Um, one, of the, one of our dads took down some, a couple of his kids to the same place a few months ago. And one of his daughters was fifth grade. And so they go down there the first day, and it's so great. They're playing with the children. They become friends, and, and all these relationships are formed. All these houses are being built, and this is a really cool day. And uh, at the end of the day, this dad turns over and says to his daughter that before they go to sleep, so what did you think of the day? You know? And he's just hoping it's as impactful on her that it's been on him, you know? And, and she says to him, "Come kind of nonchalantly, well, dad, I... I want to go home and and I I need to clean up my closet. And he's like really irritated, you know. It's like we're down here with these poor people. We're reaching out, and you want to clean out your closet. And he's trying to kind of hold himself together. And he's like, "Okay, great, whatever. We'll clean the closet." But what did you think about the day? At this point, the light goes on in her mind. She realizes what's going on. She says, "No, Dad. She says I have too much stuff, and I need to go home and clean up my closet." and bring it down for these people who don't have anything. Wow. She came home, not only did she clean out her closet, she went to her public school and started a fun drive to get food for the poor and the clothes. Gosh. I'll tell you something, I think we've missed it somehow. Somehow we've missed it as the body of Christ. You know, sometimes we wonder why people look and aren't more open to the gospel. Hey, it's because we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing, you know? So Jesus comes to us today, and with one little adverb, he changes our lives. Instead of saying, if, the prep you know, if, the adverb is when. Wow. I, I just invite you to go on a journey with me. Can we just journey together in this? Can we just agree as a congregation that, and you may, be, you may have this wired, I don't know, but I, I don't have it wired. Uh, I'm a neophyte at this. I need some training in this. And can we just agree as a congregation we really want to follow Jesus and we want, to, we want to do it in the area of poor and can we covenant with him that we just want him to teach us? Jesus, will you teach us what it means to follow you in this area of our life, just like every other area. Let's pray together. Jesus, we come before you as a church at Rocky Peak. Your people, God, we're your followers. And here's an area, Lord, we need some help. We need some tutoring. And we we, we just want to put our resources, Lord. We, we understand it's not about... <laughs> Not tithing, it's not about not giving to other things, but there's a third piece to this puzzle of generosity. You call us to do the tithe. You call us to, to give to special projects over and above, but you call us to care for the poor. It's huge on your heart, Lord. You are the one who, though you were rich, became poor so that we might become rich. May we be willing to do the same in Jesus' name. Amen. It's more than enough. And because that, uh, we can even limit or decrease our standard of living sometimes in order to increase our standard of giving. You know, uh, later in the summer, we might take a special offering for that project uh, down in Mexico and build six houses. They cost uh, $2,700 a piece to build them. And uh, the cost of going down there, what you pay when you go, just covers your transportation and and the gas and food and all the lodging and insurance and all that, and so we need to, to raise that. It's about sixteen thousand dollars. And the only reason I mention that is that uh, if God's putting on your heart that uh, kind of over and above your normal giving, you'd say, uh, you know, I'd like to be a part of that. We might do this later in the summer, but if you want to get a head start, just uh, you know, send your money in and just put the Mexico houses. We'll know what it's for. Um, I won't be surprised if there's some here that just say, you know, we just. We want to buy a house. Our family just wants to buy a house, $2,700. We're going to buy a house. And uh, we're not going to let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. Uh, we're not going to make a big deal of it. We're not going to blow trumpets. Look at so-and-so. They gave uh, this house, uh, right? But, uh, but maybe you'll be the person behind the scenes that gets to give the key to that family who doesn't have a home. And uh, you know, this welcome. <sighs> May the Lord bless you. May the generosity of Jesus flow freely in your life and in mine. May we learn what it is to be followers of the one who became poor so that he, we could become rich. May God's blessing be upon your life. May we grow as a church. With the Apostle Paul comes the grace of giving. God bless you. We'll see you next week as we travel on and talk about prayer. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening.